Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Communication Mixed Down. The show that takes a critical look at contemporary media. And explores the way we use communication to make sense of the world around us. From social media to citizen journalism. To the logo on the front of your favourite T-shirt. It's all part of the Communication Mixdown. Each week, Thursday, 6 to 6.30. Communication Mixdown. Cranking up. Right here on 3CR. Welcome to another edition of Communication Mixdown. I'm John Langer, and this is the second part of our special two-part series on making music in divided cities. Let me play you something and see if you can identify it. Now, here's a hint. It's got something to do with Northern Ireland. Now, if you asked me to identify what we just listened to, I'd have to confess that I didn't have a clue. But someone who does have a clue and knows quite a lot about these kinds of sounds and how they relate to making music in divided cities is our special guest this week. She's Leslie Leslie Pruitt, and she's a senior lecturer in international relations at Monash University, and she's a member of the Gender, Peace, and Security Center at the university. Her research focuses on peace and conflict studies, especially recognizing and enhancing youth participation in peacebuilding and advancing gender equity in the peacekeeping process. Welcome, Leslie. Thank you, John. And what did we just hear? What is that sound, and why is it so significant in relation to Northern Ireland? Thanks, John. So that was a clip from marching season in Northern Ireland. Uh, and if you know, Northern Ireland's considered a post-conflict country. Uh, some scholars have said marching season sort of defines the Northern Ireland conflict in a microcosm. So uh, it helps remind us about how just as music can be used to build peace, which is my interest, it can also be used at times to inflame conflict or to, to separate people. So in Northern Ireland, music has been used divisively historically at times in the conflict um, through marching season and through other activities at times. Uh, certain drums in Northern Ireland have even been uh, sort of assigned or identified political positions. So people will even have a sort of um, perhaps divisive response to what kind of instrument you play. Like, uh, like, like, like what? Like, just give us an idea. Uh, so there's, for example, uh, the baudrin. It's seen as symbolizing the nationalist or Catholic community. That's a type of drum. And then you've got the lambic, which uh, typically brings to mind the marching season bands, which you've just heard in the, in the orange or the Protestant tradition. Uh, in the peace building programs I worked with, it was quite interesting um, because they took in baudrins because they're small drums uh, into school programs. And then they got some sort of um, 
resistance from some of the, the funders and, and the schools saying you can't bring in one side's drums and not the other side's. But they said, well, these the other drums are really big and we can't get them into schools and get them in all of the kids' hands. So, you know, these identities were sort of mapped oh. onto instruments. Now, uh, you, so you yeah. just mentioned, sorry, the, the marching season, just that's a particular part of the year. Is that right? Now, you're talking to someone who <laughs> should know more about this, but yeah, so is it is it a particular month or how does it work? Yeah, so it tends to happen in summer and they're usually organized by Protestant groups termed uh, loyal orange lodges. So they're, they're not always contentious, but some of them, a few of them can inflame the conflict when they pass through Catholic neighborhoods. So it's sort of seen as one side is coming and in this really uh, loud uh, way taking over space. Um, I've got a quote here. That's from uh, one of the project uh, leaders that I talked to. He had a girlfriend who was a Catholic. He himself was Protestant, so they were mm-hmm. sort of a cross-community couple. Mm-hmm. And and he was telling her a story of how she would get stuck in her house sometimes for several days each year uh, because there would be these intimidating blood and thunder bands marching down her street, and she was too scared and intimidated to leave the street. Uh, so one uh, community worker that I interviewed, uh, he explained it like this. He said, uh, culture was used as a weapon by the marching bands, so music was used as a weapon. It was a way of delivering your side of the conflict to the other side. But mm-hmm. he said, and I agree, it's whether you want to use culture positively or negatively. It's about how you deliver it. If you want to use it as a weapon, you can. But if you want to use it to bring people together and build trust, you can choose to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what you were there for to look at that. And tell us, you did mention your research. You went to Northern Ireland to investigate that music could be used, particularly with young people. And that was your focus. And to use it, in, ter- in your words, to create dialogue across difference. Those are words that I took from some of your writing. Just tell us, when did you go there, and what were the conflictual non-dialogue situations that you were seeing when you first went there? Yeah, so uh, for this project, I was there beginning in 2008, which was actually 10 years after the peace accord was signed. So the Good Friday peace accord was signed in 1998. Uh, So if you tend to be optimistic, as I try to be, you might think that 10 years on, you would see, you know, a a big difference in terms of of peace uh, displacing conflict. Mm. Uh, But it depends on how you look at it, because at that time, 10 years on when I was there, the city was in some ways becoming more divided rather than less. Uh, What they call peace walls were being built were going up more of them instead of coming down and the peace walls are these big walls that separate traditionally protestant from traditionally catholic neighborhoods so there'll just be a huge wall this that, is that goes along the street wall. yeah um and, this and is in belfast absolutely yeah, yeah. and and they're, they're all over town and there were more going up there's still um many 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 there uh there have been calls in the past several years to remove them over time but there's been little progress on that and some people who i interviewed when i was there would say they actually felt they couldn't come down because you know that they didn't feel like the communities were at a place where they could interact uh and there's still and i think continues to be um what they call rioting there, but where young people from the different communities would come to those interface areas where the walls are and and fight basically at night and throw bottles and all these sorts of things and sort of have standoffs with one another. Wow. Now, you you went there to look at some music making, and you you said you're trying to look at the positive side of things, and um, particularly among young people. Um, Give us a bit of a picture of the specifics in terms of the – what – did you find in relation to that music making? Was it something that you had to bring together or was it already in place? How, do, how was it working? 
Oh, no, it's definitely already in place. So, I mean, as you can tell from uh, the background with marching season and, and the different types of drums that, you know, music is a strong part of Northern Irish culture. And, you know, no matter what kind of community within Northern Ireland people come from, uh, and it is a resource that communities have. Uh, and as someone who's interested in peace building, I, I'm really interested in that from the ground up with communities and people being able to use, you know, the knowledge and the skills and the resources that they already have to work on building cultures of peace. Uh, so I was looking at programs that were existing and that were community-based organizations there doing this work. Uh, so they did that in a variety of ways. Uh, they held programs uh, at community festivals where people from different communities came together in public spaces. They did schools programs, so that were sort of peace education and bringing uh, music and percussion practices and things to schools. Uh, and then they also did more intensive uh, overtime workshops that would be with different groups of young people where they would create, uh, for example, their own musical track and produce it together. And who was doing that? Was it was it um, organization? The or, in terms of organization, was it community based or was it sort of like a? I don't know. Was it a special group that was actually doing this? Was it education department or where where did it come from? So the programs that I worked with were run by community based organization, and in the UK terms, they will call them charities. They they use that term, I guess, more than we would in Australia, for example. But you know, non government, non profit organizations, yep, exactly. Yep. Um, and so that this was really from local people doing this in their local communities. And they, you know, uh, were like so many organizations of that kind, you know, always had to seek out funding and apply for grants. And they would get funds from government, uh, different things like the EU Peace Fund. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm-mm. And just give us again, just to, to give us a sense where it, can you remember going into a particular environment where the kids were working together can you remember how that worked? Just, you know, this is radio. We want a little <laughs> snapshot. You know, what? how did it work? Kids bring their guitars or, you know, what, what was going on? Yeah, well, there were all different sorts of programs that they did. So some of them would include young people who are already sort of skilled musicians. They might be playing in a band and making and producing music together. Uh, and then there were others, again, where it was more sort of participatory music approach, where they might bring in all different sorts of instruments and then have a sort of jam where everybody's doing really basic uh, percussion and talking about global issues and talking about, um, you know, ending sectarianism. That's what they call the divisions between yeah. communities in Northern Ireland, but also racism, because uh, in Northern Ireland... Uh, in some ways, though there were the two communities, there was very little immigration from outside before the peace accord. And after that happened, there was a rise, you know, in incidents of racism as well. So the organizers of these music programs saw all of these different types of division and discrimination as linked and saw the value of using music to bring people together, um, which was a really mm. wonderful thing to see in a lot of spaces. Uh, I think... Besides just bringing communities together in my research, uh, I found that music can be really important for young people, even within their own community, uh, to develop, uh, you know, skills in nonviolence uh, in different ways they can communicate and express themselves and feel confident in themselves. And there's definitely, uh, you know, research in public health that suggests that makes young people less likely to participate in or even be affected by violence if they do have that healthy level of the sense of belief in themselves and their ability to affect positive change. That's something that I found really interesting about when I was reading through some of your work was that the the the, they, the, the young people did develop skills which they could translate into other contexts and particularly they commit they made commitments to peace keeping themselves peace building themselves. 
Yeah, um, this was, I, I don't know, it's a really heartening thing, I think, because uh, most of the young people in the various programs that I worked with um, didn't join the project because they were wanted to be peace builders. They're not the kids that said, oh, I want to go out and get involved in this and bring communities together. There were some, uh, but most of them not. Most of them, it was their first time uh, involved in any efforts at peace building. Mostly they came to the programs because they wanted to do music. They wanted to participate in rock music or hip-hop music or whatever the sort of program mm. was. Mm. Uh, but once they got there and they had these experiences and they learned these things and they collaborated with people who were different from them, they had this real sense of commitment to you know, creating these cultures of peace and continuing that project onward. That's, that is very interesting. And uh, listen, this might be actually a good time to take a little break, give you a breather. Great. Let's play this. If you love 3CR, then why not support us by setting up a regular donation? You decide how much and how often you donate, and once it's set up, you don't have to think about it. Monthly, weekly, annually, you decide, and there's no minimum amount. Your donation is also 100% tax deductible. And you can claim the entire amount back via your tax return, knowing you are directly diverting Commonwealth funds to keeping your favourite station operating. It's the easiest way to grow 3CR. So if this works for you, sign up. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate or call the station on 9419 8377. We're Communication Mixdown, and this is the second part of our two-part special on making music in divided cities. And we're back with Leslie Pruitt, and she's been talking about her research on the ways that music can be used to engage young people in dialogue for peace and conflict resolution. Now, let's go from Northern Ireland, if we can, because you're very well-traveled, I have to say. And uh, you did some of this work also in Australia. And... um, we don't normally think about key peacekeeping uh, in Australia, but uh, there is a sense that community conflict can lead to some fairly destabilizing and even dangerous situations for young people. So tell us about the context where you were doing some work in some investigating in Australia. Thanks, John. Uh, So another part of this project uh, was I looked at at some programs in Brisbane. Uh, And in those programs, they were, again, bringing together young people from different communities within Australia. Uh, So they brought together Indigenous and non-Indigenous young people, including young people from migrant and refugee backgrounds. And it was in a quite diverse area. Uh, And the I guess aim of it was to bring young people together to start to understand one another in an area where there'd been a lot of youth uh, violence incidents at the local train station. So it was sort of identified as there is a need. And they started this peace project that was hip hop based. And so that was really attractive to a lot of uh, the young people. And they had different uh, activities uh, that, pe- that young people could take part in. So they had um, singing, uh, rapping, uh, break dancing and crump dancing, different, different aspects of, of sort of hip hop culture. And the young people would come together every year or every time this project would have an iteration and they would create uh, a collaborative music project. So 
you know, they would create a song and a music video and the dance and they would do all these sort of things together and maybe perform it in the city, at, you know, at a Youth Week event or things like that. Uh, and, you know, similar uh, to other programs like that, it gave the young people a chance to think about themselves and where they come from and how they relate to other people uh, in their community as well and to do something positive together. And who was running this? Was this something that came from the, again, from the community or was it something which was top down imposed from the bureaucrats or where did it come from? (laughs) Yeah. Unsurprisingly, I would say again, this was again a community initiative. So it was again Mm -hmm. community based and it was, um, Importantly, I would say led by young people as well. So uh, in the broader research I've done around youth participation and youth leadership, that's one really key factor in engaging young people and doing so in a way, you know, that they can have a real participation with substance. So it was like young people leading other young people. So a lot of the participants would be uh, teenagers, for example, uh, but then a lot of the peer educators would be sort of um, between 18 and 25. And some of them were former participants, and then they would come back Mm -hmm. and and keep Mm -hmm. working on the project with younger people. And uh, how long were you, were you doing that? And what, what, what was the date in that? Just give yeah. us a timeline. Yeah, yeah, sure. So that program had been going on uh, for years uh, before I started uh, doing my research there. But I was um, doing my research on that between 2007 and 2010. Okay, so it's yeah. actually ten, at least ten, starting ten years ago. Yeah. So is it still going on? It's still going. Now? I believe so. Yeah. Okay, and um, something that uh, was interesting that I was reading about again from your your work is the 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 role of dance had a very important part in. I don't know. I would the term I would use is cooling people out instead of you know going and sort of doing sort of violent stuff they would they would dance yeah it's so true um you know a lot of conflicts or violence you know we don't often talk about that but it's really embodied and it's emotional and it's all these things so sometimes approaches to peace building can be really highly you know uh, rational and linear and these sort of uh, things that don't really deal with the underlying issues with um you know different types of violence and conflict so uh, in that way things like dance and, and other creative movement practices can have a really important role uh, in the Australian program, you know, as I mentioned before, one of their sort of activities that the young people could get involved in was crump dance. And that's a style of dance that originated in South Central Los Angeles. And it was created as an alternative to involvement in gang violence. So that was actually the original intent of, of the mm. creators. Um, uh, one young woman who was a, a peer leader and instructor in crumping there, she said, uh, the crumping does help because I remember once the boys just saying that they used to fight, but now they solve their problems by crumping. They battle each other in dance battles, but they don't actually have to fight. And so some of the young men I dance. interviewed there said that was how they gain respect in their peer cohort was through this skill rather than by, you know, bashing each other, for example. Dance, dance battles, yeah. crumping. Leslie, do you crump? Uh, no, I don't personally. Uh, I do. I do enjoy dancing of many kinds. So that's probably not my best skilled area. <laughs> uh, I think I'll have to go and look something up about crumping. I'm, oh, definitely yeah. check out some videos. Okay, cool. Um, now, the other thing that's very important, as I understand from your research, is the question of gender equity. And I was wondering how this manifested itself across the project, the two projects we've just been talking about. Was there something that you were specifically making an intervention in or was it something that how did how did that come about well uh, for me i was interested in it because a lot of the research shows that peace initiatives are more successful and last longer uh 
going forward if if they're gender equitable, you know, if both boys and girls or men and women can be involved. So it was just a question that I had of whether or how did that happen, you know, in community programs and specifically those using creative methods. You know, I would um, possibly, again, optimistically probably expect that they might be better at that than some more traditional uh, Mm -hmm. approaches to conflict resolution. But, you know, nowhere is a power vacuum. And so whatever sort of differences you might have in society, they'll turn up in what kind of programs you have as well, if if there's not a specific intent to address them, I think. Um, and so what I did see and learned about was young people, both um, young men and young women, were sometimes sort of, I would use the word maybe like gender policed in a way, you know, by their peers about what they could participate in or not. Um, for the boys, uh, one young man said uh, – He said, when I was young, I remember all the guys, I would say, I'm in the choir, and they'd say, that's gay, bro, and this sort of, you know, homophobic slurs Mm -hmm. that were used Mm -hmm. against boys to sort of, you know, say, you can do this or you can't do that. Um, But he said, well, you know, I just had to be tough and not listen to that or not take that as an insult and, and do what I wanted to do. And uh, for girls, on the other hand, you know, like some of them were very interested in doing crump dance and some of them would do that, you know, in their school and in different places. But then they didn't take place in, uh, take part in that in the program. So I wanted to know, like, why? Mm-hmm. Um, why did they do that? And they, they would talk about it, um, you know, that they didn't feel comfortable or they felt like that was a sort of uh, boys space. And so they, they would feel shamed or they would feel nervous. Um so it really brought up some interesting questions to me about why programs, you know, sometimes uh, have specific programs dedicated for young women or young men, uh, and sometimes they might do that in a combination with bringing them together, different ways to make sure that both can feel like they, they can take part and be involved. Do you think the organizers of, and I guess these are two very different cultures, so you mm. clearly, you know, you've got to take that into account. Do you think the organizers were aware of these kinds of boundaries that were being set up, and did you... I mean, as a researcher, were you able to talk to them about this sort of stuff? I definitely did ask um, questions about it. Uh, And in the uh, Australian context, uh, some of the young uh, peer leaders did say that they were aware of that in some cases. And so for them, they wanted to... Uh, for example, do some confidence building uh, with the young women. And then they did, in a later iteration of the project, they also created a a dance group that was for the young women, but they weren't doing crump. They were doing more uh, sort of hip-hop dance. Um, So that that was one way that they dealt with that. Uh, in the Northern Ireland case, mostly uh, the leaders, when I asked them about it, said, oh, well, that's just sort of natural. You know, boys are more attracted to that than girls. Um, I don't know whether over time they might they might have have sort of changed mm-hmm. their view on that or not, but that was just sort of they were like that's not really something we can control or we sure. can address, and it certainly is a challenge, you know, of how do you address all the various things uh, in community programs. But I think it's worth reflecting on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And j- just to go back, and we're, we're probably coming close to the end of the show, but c- going back to Northern Ireland, have you have you been back since you've done your research? Uh, can I ask that? And have you found some? I mean, if you have been back, have things looked a bit more positive, or have things changed? 
I haven't been back, sadly, and I would like to, and I hope that I'll get the chance uh, before too long. It, it is interesting to see, you know, what will happen there, and there's all the different speculation about whether or how it might affect the longer term of the peace process with the Brexit vote last year mm-hmm. and, you know, with Northern Ireland voting differently um, to England and the UK, but the results being to sure. come out of the EU and, you know, Ireland itself is in the EU, so there's, you know, there's political uh, tensions and differences that might come up. Uh, but there are a lot of good people doing a lot of good work, including in community arts. So um, mm. I think those will have an, an important impact in, in continuing to strengthen communities there going forward. Leslie, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I really appreciate your time. And uh, this week, this is our second edition, if you like, of our special series. It's on creating music, making music in and peace building in divided cities. Leslie Pruitt, she's a senior lecturer in international relations at Monash University and a member of the Gender, Peace and Security Center at the university. Her book, by the way, is called Youth, Peace Building, Music, Gender and Change, and we'll put it on our website. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks so much, John. And I'd like to uh, say, well, we're going to go out of uh, Communication Mix Down this week. Uh, We'll be here again next Thursday. And for our track out, and this is a suggestion from Leslie, uh, I want to leave with uh, a track back to Northern Ireland. And uh, it's a band called Different Drums. And as Leslie, you were talking about earlier, different types of drums represent the different communities. Apparently, this group has brought the drums together. It's uh, Tell us the names of these drums again. Uh, the Bodron and the Lambic. And this, they claim, is the first musical performance where these two drums have been put together. The band's called Different Drums, and we are Communication Minkstown. We'll be back next week. I was born on the border my father's from Tyrone, my mother Donegal. Prepared to talk on both sides of the border. I think by now, might have heard it all. I'm a northern man, from a northern land. From where I stand, I see a northern land. From where I Tried to form my thoughts freely Free to decide if decisions need be made And I'll change my mind if it's a lesson to me I don't know how I'd learn to change left me afraid I'm a northern man From a northern land From where I stand I see a northern land From where I Changed as the times did But I've learned to see another way And still be who I am My heart and my soul are united They both agree That I'm a northern man I'm a northern man From a northern land 
Crow where I stand, I see a northern 